0: You know, usually I start off with something fun, like a good quiz or something really funny that just gets you guys rolling on the floor because I'm so funny and hysterical, right? But today I wanted to start off with something that I saw on Facebook from a friend of mine, mentor Ben Kacheris. And he just put this illustration up there that's just a tool that's helpful for us to evaluate life, how we're doing physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I hope it's something and it's a tool that we can start putting some skin around, use it around here as part of our language, And it describes our life to think about how we're doing in terms of a bucket. And the bucket, you know, if you think through your life, sometimes you feel like you're running at a pretty full bucket. Other times you might be tired and weary and you feel like your bucket's low. Well, because this life's not perfect and we run into problems and issues, we find that there's holes in our bucket. And these are things that just take the life out of us. These can be situational, like, you know, you just had a job that's causing you a lot of stress. Could be relationships where you're just stressed in those could be health concerns, could be any number of things, but if you're honest, it's just zapping your energy away, and life is just a struggle right now. And then also, what we don't do is like, yeah, that's the common sense, but how often do we take the time and actually list those things that are the culprit? And so I challenge you, maybe today, to literally write down the things that are draining your energy. What are those things that are challenging you? There's also something good that we can do is there's things that fill our buckets. There's their life-giving things where it's almost like you get finished doing something, you get in the car, and you're like, man, that was fantastic. I have to do that again. That was such a good thing. That was such a blast. I love the people I was with. I love where I was. And this was just one of those things where I wish I could do over and over. And likewise, we should take some time, and we should list those things and take an inventory and really process what is it that literally fills my bucket, that when things are tough, if I would just stop and make sure I'm exercising or eating right or getting enough sleep or, you know, going on a hike. Maybe it's going fishing. Maybe it's traveling. Whatever it is for you that really fills your bucket, not just this temporary fix, but really fills it. Think about those things. Because you know how life gets when you have a lot of stresses in your life. You stop doing these things, right? It's like you're running around and you're just like, oh, goodness, I have so much to do. My endless to-do list. Or we become obsessing over our issues. And before we know it, it's just like this is completely overwhelming. And we look at our schedules and this isn't in there anywhere. And so I would challenge you to make sure that you're doing both these things today. Write down the things that could really do that and things that are draining. You see, Jesus did this. He had probably the biggest, busiest calendar of anyone. He had the biggest mission to do, and yet he took time to get through the crowds, push the crowds away, and just spend time on his own. So why say that today? It's because, well, we're in a series called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And this is our last week. But if we're honest, if we're really running at the bottom of that bucket It's hard to evaluate anything positive in life, isn't it? If we just feel like we're just going through the motions or we're struggling, it's hard to have a positive outlook on what life can be. And so as we're ending this series, I hope that's a critical exercise that you'll just take the time to do. It is our last week. And from the very beginning, just a quick recap of the weeks. The first week we said, you're not here by accident. You were created with a purpose and for a purpose. And God has great things that he wants to invite you to do with him. The second week, we talked about heaven, and we said that we are invited to spend eternity with God, and the things that we do here affects our eternity. The third week, we talked about worship, that God created us to love us, and he wants us to love him back. And When we do that, that is a vertical relationship that we can concentrate on, and when we love God back, it's worship. It's not about the things that we do as much as the heart behind the things that we do, because everything we do is worship. The following week was fellowship, and fellowship was about how we interact with one another. It's our horizontal love. It's how we love people practically in this world and how we encourage people. And this group of people that follow Jesus that come together is called the church. Church isn't a building. It's a collection of people that do life together with him. The next week, we talked about discipleship, that our natural tendency has to move closer towards Jesus. On our own, we have some distance. So as we learn to walk as Jesus walked, as we follow in his footsteps, that's called discipleship. And then last week, we talked about serving, that God created us uniquely with a unique shape. Spiritual gifts and habits and heart issues, and all these things that God has specific work that He wants us to do. And this week is the last week, and we're talking about mission that God created us with a mission that He needs us to do. So, when we're saying, What on earth are we here for this week? we're saying, Sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with others. Here's a reading from the purpose driven life God is at work in the world, and He wants you to join Him. This assignment is called Your Mission. God wants you to have both a ministry in the body of Christ and a mission in the world. Your ministry is your service to believers, and your mission is your service to unbelievers. Fulfilling your mission in the world is God's fifth purpose of your life. Our English word mission comes from the Latin word for sending, and being a Christian includes being sent into the world as a representative of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That verse comes from John 20, 21, and Jesus has just resurrected. He's appearing to his disciples, and he's just getting ready to go to heaven, and he gives them those words. He gives them that mission. The disciple Matthew, in chapter 28, this is his last words, his last section of his book, and he records it this way. In Matthew 28, starting in 18, he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These were the last words in Matthew's gospel. And as we know, final words are a big deal. Whether it's the end of a movie, if it's the end of a story, or if it's the end of a song lyric, the last words always mean a lot. And these words aren't the end. These words are, you need to go. You need to go make disciples. You need to baptize them. You need to teach them. And while you do those things, Jesus promises to be with us. Here's a little insider thing: This is a church that we welcome people to come regardless where you find yourself in your relationship with Jesus. If you're here checking out what Jesus is about and what your life's like and what it can be with Him, welcome. This is insider language for someone who's really concerned about sharing their faith with perhaps you or someone else, and that can be feel a little weird. But rest assured, we're going to try to say this in a positive way that encourages. Because sometimes this term evangelism gets a bad term, doesn't it? The term evangelism, sharing your faith, it can become pushy, it can become argumentative, and it can be very divisive for people. And that's not what we're trying to do. We want to learn that really, this mission is about sharing our story with other people. The difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And if we do that naturally, like we do other things, like how many of you have a favorite Netflix show? How many of you have shared your love of that Netflix show with someone else? Probably everyone. Yesterday, Joe Holman's like, if you checked out this show, you should check it out now. And I've checked it out because we're passionate about things. We like to share what we've enjoyed with other people. Go to a favorite restaurant. You start talking about, oh, this was great food. The service was great. You tell someone about it. If you have a doctor or a medical condition that you're finding that you love, you'll share that news with someone else. You feel obligated to do that. And so this is a good kind of obligation where we're sharing the good news about Jesus. But if we're honest... It can make us all a little nervous on how do we do that. But Jesus was pretty clear. He made his awareness of what exactly he came to this earth to do. Two key texts is Mark 2.17. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in Luke chapter 19, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This great mission from God was Jesus coming here to invite others into his kingdom. But what's incredible is he left this to us to do. That's a crazy thing for God to delegate, isn't it? You know, I love my kids, love them so much. If my kids were in danger, I would do everything in my power to save them. If they were taken, I'm not Liam Nelson, but I would do everything I could to go and rescue them because I love them so much. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at the Pursue Christian Teen Convention and I got Nathan. Nathan's kind of my colour. He's 12 years old. and He's just like in front of me and I'm just holding on to him. And then my son Ian's sitting down. I'm sorry, Nathan's 11. I know how old my kid is. Ian's 13 sitting next to me. And they're singing that song. And that song's lyrics that we sang this morning, it was the the, the reckless love of God. And the word lyrics were just so powerful in how it says, there's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. No lie you won't tear down. And it says the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down fights till I'm found and I'm holding on to Nate and we're singing that song and I'm looking at Ian and I'm like that's the kind of love I have for you guys you may not believe it sometimes but man I would do anything to get you and then I realized like oh those lyrics are about me that's actually God saying those words to me that he loves me that much and then you look around the room you're like oh God loves everyone this much and we're invited to chase after them We're invited to take our best energy and share this great news with other people. But it gets weird, doesn't it? And so let's talk about how we can do that in a loving and kind way. Because when Jesus went there, he made it very clear that this is our mission he handed to us. In John 17, he knew he was about to go to the cross and he said these things. He was about to go to the cross and he says, Father, be with me in my final hours. Then he said, be with the disciples. Then he said, be with all believers. And in that prayer, he says these words, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Nothing's more important than this purpose for us because this purpose lasts for eternity. The other four, we can do in heaven. We can worship God. We can be with other people. We can learn more about Jesus. We can serve him. We can serve other people. But this one, we can only do on this side. And that term is called evangelism. An evangelism again is simply being on mission and share what Jesus has done in our lives. When I found out the hard way that you can't just talk someone into anything, you ever tried that? You ever tried to debate someone into a relationship with Jesus? It never really works that much, and it can be with really people that you care about. Maybe that's just a preacher thing where you get in debates about it, but I found that it doesn't work well. When I was younger, I went to, I was 21 years old and I went to this debate. It was by a a Christian and a non-Christian about a biblical topic. And the Christian guy, I was like, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna go watch what it's like to actually Make someone transition because you have so much wisdom and knowledge. And this guy, he starts preaching and then he starts looking at the other person. He's telling him why he should believe in the Bible. And the other guy's like, I don't believe in the Bible for these reasons. And he gives very articulate reasons why. Then there's this rebuttal. Then they're going back and forth. And it's about 90 minutes going on. But do you know what happened at the end? Nothing. (laughs) The Christian didn't stop believing in Jesus. And the other person didn't all of a sudden say, I've never thought of that. Let me change my mind. What they actually did was they went to the next town and they did the same routine again. They just made it a habit of debating each other. And so debating might not be the best deal because, honestly, let's be honest, do we feel like we're capable of going into that? But instead, rather than a debate, this church's name is Experienced Christian Church. We believe God is better experienced than explained. What we try to do is just share our story with someone in a compelling enough way where they're actually willing to consider, is Jesus a real possibility in my life? And that's what we're trying to encourage people to do. But before we use our words, we really have to think about, does our life reflect a life that loves Jesus? Because that's very, very important. I said it this way, how you live each and every day impacts how people interpret the words that you say. You know, you can say all these great words, but if you're not living it out or you're not being authentic in your journey, well, people can smell that a mile away. Where We should live out the life that we want to live, of course, but we have to be honest where things aren't possibly the best. You know, if you had someone, they're always like, oh, life, best day ever, best thing ever, no problem in my life. You have a problem? Let me tell you about Jesus. As soon as you get Jesus, things are great. No problem that ever happened. And they'll oversell Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're like, I thought life was supposed to be better with Jesus. And like, eh, it is, but it's not perfect. <laughs> and so, you know, you're, you're, you're wrestling with, How do I actually have struggles in life? And if I'm having struggles, can that actually be still a good thing? And I think the answer is yes. Jesus wants you to actually talk about where your hope is, even in hard times. I love the realness that you find in the Bible. People didn't fake it well. People were actually authentic, and people had hiccups. And Jesus, God still used them. And there you see people that told lies, people that abused alcohol, people that were friends with other people, took their wives away and then had them murdered to cover it up. Prostitutes were paid for. Jesus was rejected by a disciple. Jesus was betrayed by a disciple. Missionaries got in fights and split churches. And you see, these things happen because God uses imperfect people because, well, we're all imperfect. Here's God's agenda that I believe he wants us to do. He uses this great analogy, this great metaphor, and he defines this world as a dark place, which we know it is. We know there's problems here. And in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, he says this, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He calls us light and our role is to be light wherever there's darkness. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to every everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will like you and tell everyone else how awesome you are. That's not the end of the scripture, right? <laughs> it's like, sometimes we think that's why we should do great things and I should do things so that people like me. No. It's so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. That's the motivation. You know, you hear people, they'll say, I want to go on the mission trip or I want to go serve somewhere. And sometimes if they're honest, it's because they want to feel good about what they have going on and not because they want to make Jesus well-known. My friend Tom Owen, he wants to write a book. I believe it was 7 meters and 7,000 miles or 8 meters and 8,000 miles. And the challenge of his book is he sees people, they raise money, they go on a mission trip somewhere on the other side of the world, They go and they share the good news of Jesus with their, they proclaim things boldly, they do great things, then they come home and they shrivel into this little cocoon and they think somebody from that side of the world should come to their neighborhood and share their faith with their neighbors. That's not what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be willing to be missionaries wherever we find ourselves, to share the good news, but probably not with a sign (laughs) that says, turn back to Jesus or, you know, this little on the corner of the store with a megaphone because that can feel awkward, right? sure those things work at times, but I think we need to do it in a more way. We should see ourselves not on mission sometimes, but that we're always on mission. That Every aspect of our life, we should look at the opportunity because God can only use you in your cubicle, right? He can only use you in your workplace. He can only use you at that seat at your desk, surrounded by those other people. He can only use you at your favorite place. So we should think about our barista our dentist chair, wherever we find ourselves through the week, how can I be Jesus here? And that just requires a simple prayer. Jesus, what would you have me do here? How can I be your light in this situation right now? And if you pray that prayer, I'm convinced that God will help you live on mission in a great way. It's interesting if you find yourselves, one of the conversations we had on Tuesday night were people that said, I have a really hard time because I just find myself not around Non-Christians very often are people that don't believe in Jesus or don't believe like me. And it's interesting, the statistic is, after one year, people can naturally drift towards relationships where they only have deep, impactful, meaningful relationships with other Christians. And so for me, I just look at my own schedule. Everyone on our staff is a Christian, at least I think they are. That would be Elena, my wife. Yeah, they're all, <laughs> you know, all Christian. My workplace is pretty much all Christians. And so I have to find environments where I can go out and do something else. So I'll play Texas Hold'em, and I'll go out and I'll go to you know, restaurant late at night, it's no gambling involved, but we'll sit here and we'll play cards. And I'm not looking for opportunities where I hear someone say, oh, I just said a bad word. And I look at them and I'm like, you know, what does Jesus think about that? No, I don't do that. I just, because, you know, a lot of times they'll find out if I'm a pastor eventually, and they'll say, you know, they'll cuss in front of me, they'll look at me and say, sorry, pastor. Or they'll say, they'll say the word and they'll look at me and say, what you going to do about it? I'm like, nothing. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not the Jesus police here. That's not my role. That's not my lane. I just want to go love people. I want to be the pastor of that environment where I can see a need and meet that need and just be kind because people don't like to be projects. People don't like to say, are you only going to like me if I become a follower of Jesus? And the answer is no. We're called to love you regardless. You're not a project. You value to God. Same thing is true. I'm part of a business network. And when I go there and I wear this name tag that has me as a pastor, there's just expectation where they think, okay, you're the Jesus guy. So you're going to blah, blah, blah. And I just want them to know I'm not there with an agenda. I'm there to enhance that group, to love that group practically. And so, yes, we navigate that tension well, but we should look for opportunities where we can show Jesus in practical ways by loving them in a way that impacts them. This is a story uh, from Matt Hasselbeck. He recorded in 2013. He was a quarterback, impacted another quarterback, who impacted other quarterbacks. Check this video out here.
1: When people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would say... I don't know, I just guess I'll just play in the NFL like my dad. I was drafted in the sixth round, pick 187. I can remember when I got the call from the Green Bay Packers, Andy Reid, the quarterback's coach, calls me and he says, uh, hey, uh, tell me what you think about this next pick. And I'm looking at the ticker, and it's like Green Bay Packers, it starts flashing, and it's my name. And I'm thinking, you guys are fools, <laughs> no one else is gonna draft me. I throw the phone up, I'm like, we're celebrating, I pick the phone back up, I'm like, hey, uh, coach, you know no one is probably gonna draft me, you know, like, you didn't need to draft me. But I was fired up. I get there and I and I see they've got a ton of quarterbacks. But my coach came in and he, he kind of instilled some confidence in me that I didn't have in myself. And one of the first things he says to me, he's like, listen, you need to believe that you can be the backup quarterback for this team. He was kind of like, he was a little churchy for me. I don't know. I was just very suspicious. Come to find out through uh, years of being with him and then, um, you know, seeing him go through things in his life that the dude was legit and he was a good friend and a great teammate. I got in the elevator and I was like critical of what the chaplain had talked about. I was like, man. I'm so glad this guy that I invited said no on our team because the chaplain's never gonna reach that guy with that kind of a message. And Trent looks at me. He's like, "It's not the chaplain's job to reach that guy. It's the chaplain's job to teach you so that you can reach that guy." And I was like, "Whoa, really? (laughs) I'm good at teaching a young quarterback the playbook." Hey, what do you do here on uh, Fox 2xY? Like, oh dude play action is the whole deal and I'm gonna tell you nine out of ten times you're throwing the tight end unless they're in quarters coverage you're gonna throw the post but otherwise you're gonna go to the tight end right to the X and I guarantee you, the X can be open every single time and unless they're playing two man on the backside or it's press bump and run then you're gonna have your fullback and it'd be easy gain it'd be second and four like I, I know that I can give that away I can share and not only can I run the play I can teach you the play and so I wasn't at a point with my faith that I could share it in a way that I I was the starter, you know, I was like a rookie. Even though I had had the playbook for years, I didn't really know it. I wasn't making disciples. I was introducing people to the chapel and feeling good about myself. There was a moment for me where I really felt something powerful that I can't even explain was last year uh, we were at a conference type thing and uh, I had invited our two young quarterbacks I was like man I hope it's okay for them I hope they like it I mean I, I like it I hope they like it and they were teaching on, this, on baptism and uh, I'm like walking to them thinking like hey I was gonna tell my baptism story about like hey I, just, I know it's a little I, I don't know how you feel about this and uh, and both of them and their wives said hey our team chaplain's not here would you be willing to baptize us and i was just like like are you kidding me god is present in all things big or small all the time he can do anything he wants to do with anyone he wants to do through anyone he wants to do it with
0: I like his honesty in that story when he talks about his friend Trent. He's like, oh, he's kind of like his over-the-top Christian guy. And when he said he watched his life and observed him, it's when I researched what happened in Trent's life, and Trent lost his son. Like, that's one of the things that happened in his own life. And he watched how he held on to his faith. And as he went through these hard times, it impacted him in such a way that he opened himself up. I didn't know, like, who is this Jesus that he has hope in? And that's what we're hoping to model is a genuine life that actually loves Jesus. Not because we have to, but we worship him because he's good and that he loves us and we reciprocate that love back to him. And so when we get a chance to some, you know, basically show our light to other people, we're praying for an opportunity where we can actually share what Jesus did for us. And that articulates that that means we should be able to articulate why we have hope in Jesus, why we love him. Peter, he said it this way in first Peter 3:15, he says, But in your hearts. Revere Christ as Lord. Worship. Also, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And he says this phrase, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's the critical part. Gentleness and respect. When we see other people and they and we see that they're hurting, we can actually go and be loved for them. I always held on to this. This was a pastor named Jeff from North Point, and He shared that there were three knots that we can have our ears attuned to that may present an opportunity for us to share our faith. And the first knot is when someone says things are not going well. And when things are not going well, it's an opportunity for us just to step in and be Jesus in that moment. We can say, hey, what's going on? What's not going well? And it gives them an opportunity to share what's draining their bucket. You know, I thought life was going well, and then all of a sudden, things are not going well. I had this job issue, or I had this life issue, or spouse issue, or children issue, and. They share that, and you can think of your own story when life was not going well, and you can maybe share a little bit of your own story. You don't try to say, oh, I, I know just how you feel because, I, listen to my story. It's no, I understand how life can be hard. Let me tell you about something that happened. The second knot is I'm not prepared for. It. This is those elements in life when you're just not ready for it. Aging parents, kids leaving the home, becoming a parent, transitioning, losing a best friend. I'm just not prepared to do life in this new arena. And this is when you can talk about a time you had a hard transition and Jesus did something great for you as you're in it. And you can share a little bit of that story with them. And the last one is someone says, I'm not part of a church family. And you can just simply say, wow, I found one I enjoy and I hope. And you can invite them to be part of what happens here, hopefully. Well, there is a little bit of a formula that we can look at. And we get this formula from a time when Paul shared his own testimony. This is Acts chapter 26. I want to read and break out his sharing of his own faith, and we'll learn some lessons that we can apply very practically. He is on trial, and they're trying to execute him because they're not happy that he's sharing this good news about Jesus with other people. And so we'll start off when he's in front of this king named Agrippa, and he's very complimentary in how he starts off. Verse 2, it says, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusation of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from their earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that is the extra learning that gave him basically his master's or his doctorate. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now, I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, Your Majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. Here, Paul is telling what his life was like before Jesus. He didn't glamorize it. He's very honest. He said, I was like you. I did not like Christians. In fact, I persecuted them. I went after them. I tried to have them murdered. So I get where you're coming from. But now I find myself in a different place. And he goes on he says, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest, and about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. Brighter than the noonday sun, I'll note. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Here, Paul is unpacking how he met Jesus. This could be in your story when you really were attracted to Jesus, when someone invited you into that relationship and what it meant as you surrendered your life to him. And Paul ends this, by sharing this story. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in in the temple for preaching this. They tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to the present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. There we get a story of what his life was like after Jesus. And that's our story and how we can write up our own testimony, how we came to know Jesus. You would do your first part as your life. What was it like before you met Jesus? Then you would tell a story of how you met Jesus. And then you would share how your life has changed since meeting him. This is a testimony that no one can argue with. They may not believe you. But you know, if your life reflects a changed heart, it'll at least cause them to question it and maybe open themselves up to it. Worry less about having your story just right, but worry most about living your relationship with someone else and how they actually can see Jesus in your life. But also your story can be more than just your conversion story. They can be stories of when Jesus showed up in in your life in a significant way. And that outline looks like this. Your story, again, it's your life thoughts before a situation. How Jesus showed up and how your life thoughts have changed since that. How has God used that situation to grow you, change you, challenge you? That's why we have stories shared here every week. It's just someone comes up and they share what God has done in their life. And it may be their conversion story or it may be when they went through a rough patch. And we've heard some pretty challenging, amazing stories since we've opened the doors. And maybe that's you, and you could talk to Diane. She can help you create your story, and you can share those here because it's such an encouragement to other people. You know, your story might not affect everyone, but I know that God will use it to affect someone. In my own life, I can talk to people about what cancer's like. I can talk to people about what worry's like, what anxiety's like, what it's like when you have these questions about God that you just can't get solutions for. And so you just bang your head against the wall and you're like, God, why is this so clear to me? And all of these challenges, all these thoughts, we can sit down and we can share a bit of our story if we just take the time to write those out and connect with other people. And do you know what happens when you share your story? Sometimes not what you think. Paul is down here and he's talking to Festus. And he says in 24, this is how he responded. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. <laughs> not, that, not the response you were potentially thinking about, Right. He goes on, Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And Paul replied, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in the audience might become the same as I am. Except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood up and left. Not perhaps what he expected, but he doesn't know what happened on the inside to all those who heard that story, right? We're not responsible for how someone responds. We might think, oh, goodness, what if I share it and they do nothing? Well, they do nothing, but you got a chance to share your story. And you cannot see the invisible steps that someone takes in their journey towards Christ. Or away from him. But what you're hoping is when you're sharing your story, someone is just willing to open up and take a little step. And then again, take another little step. Then another story comes along. And they take another little step. And before they know it, they're walking closer to Jesus than ever. Your story is perfect for what God is hoping to accomplish with it. The big challenge for me is I think what would happen if we are really willing to take the time, internalize our story, what Jesus has done for us. And yes, we'll share them here. But what would happen if we share them out there? What would happen if we are willing to take a risk and just open up and say, look what God's done in my life. This is how I've seen his presence in me. That's a fantastic mission that we can all participate in. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you've given us this purpose, that God, we're to be on mission for you. And God, that could take a very different look than what we sometimes see. God, rather than a microphone, we might just need to have gloves on and be willing to serve someone in a very practical way. Rather than worrying about just the right words to say, it might actually be sitting down with someone and just listening, truly listening to what's going on in someone else's life. So God, whenever we're presented with an opportunity, I pray we'll step into it. That God will show your love practically and hopefully one day we'll be able to show your love through our own words and articulate what you've done in our lives. And so God, to do that well, to do that effectively, we need your spirit to come be part of it. So thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for those that are here that are just still checking out what this old Jesus thing and life with you is all about. And we're thankful that they're here and we hope they understand that they can belong before they believe. They're not here as a project. They're somebody that we believe is going through life that could use some encouragement and support from others. So thanks for the gift of today. Thanks for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. When you came in, in your program, you had a card that said, today I experienced or I'd like someone else to experience. And we just give you about two minutes at this point of the service just to reflect on what God might be asking you to do or suggesting that you do. Maybe this is the time you just draw that bucket and you just write down, this is what's draining me. This is what's filling me. Maybe it'll be someone's mind that you just want to start praying for regularly and pray for an opportunity to share your faith or a story with them. We'll just give you two minutes. We'll just give you two minutes just to process what God's asking you to do.